Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Hacking HR podcast, the show where we talk about the amazing future of human resources and all things at the intersection of future of work, technology, innovation, organizations, transformation, and people. At Hacking HR, we believe that human resources can become the most important trailblazer, leading people and organizations successfully and effectively into the new reality of work and life. To do that, we must rise to the challenges of our times, shoot for the stars, and achieve our fantastic potential. During this show, we discuss ideas, insights, data, experiences, stories, and anything else that can contribute to helping you become and be a better HR leader and practitioner. Thank you so much for joining us today and enjoy the show. As a background, I'm not a full HR professional and I'm spending a lot of time to try to understand how HR can create value and mm-hmm. connecting the dots from a strategic point of view. And in doing that effort, I realized that maybe the element of purpose could have been further stretched. Mm-hmm. What do we mean? We mean that uh, all of us, we are absolutely aware about the concept of purpose-driven organization. I think now every single company has a clear purpose that is clearly communicated, at least within the organization. But in the last couple of years, and especially in the last months, I was realizing if maybe there is an opportunity to move towards a kind of purpose self-driven organization, where the purpose can help as a kind of conscious or unconscious coordination mechanism. Luigi joined ING in 2015, and he's currently the head of ING HR Strategy and Transformation, where he's leading HR's future strategic agenda. During his journey in ING as the head of performance management space, he redesigned and implemented the group's new performance management framework. Prior to joining ING, he had been working in McKinsey for 10 years, serving several of the leading financial institutions. Hello, everyone. Another episode of the Hacking HR podcast. Such a delight to have you. Today, we are joined by the wonderful Luigi Maria Fiero. Welcome, Luigi. So good to have you. Thanks a lot. My pleasure. My pleasure, Tatiana. Let me do a quick intro about who Luigi is, and then I'm sure you will enjoy the questions that we have prepared and that we're going to go through today. Luigi today is the global head of HR strategy and analytics. Uh, Just very recently moved into this role. We're going to talk about this. Prior to that, he's been heading HR strategy at Transformation at ING, uh, performance culture for a number of years. And he's also visiting professor and executive committee member for Master HR and Organization at the Bologna Business School, plus a member of the Board of Advisors at Awake in Business. And with that, I'm sure you're already getting a first glimpse into some of the questions we're gonna have. The first one, Luigi, and I'm so excited that you're willing to share it with us. We hear a lot about people and companies talk about purpose-driven organizations. But when we chatted and I did a bit of research on your work, you were talking about purpose self-driven organizations. So if you could explain to us what you mean by that and why it's so important to differentiate. Yeah. Uh, first of all, thanks a lot for the, for the introduction and uh, um, it's, a bit about myself and then I'm going to immediately go to the um, to the question is it's a pleasure for me to be here today and uh, um, 
as a background, I'm not a full HR professional and I'm spending a lot of time to try to understand how HR can create value and connecting the dots from a strategic point of view. And in doing that effort, I realized that maybe the element of purpose could have been further stretched. Mm-hmm. What do we mean? We mean that uh, all of us, we are absolutely aware about the concept of purpose-driven organization. I think now every single company has a clear purpose that is clearly communicated, at least within the organization. But in the last couple of years, and especially in the last months, I was realizing if maybe there is an opportunity to move towards a kind of purpose self-driven organization where the purpose can help as a kind of conscious or unconscious coordination mechanism. Mm-hmm. Why this could be important and what do I mean? I mean, it's important because especially in the current environment, the working from home, the higher level of uncertainty, new challenges for managers that have to learn how to deal, how to tackle, how to work with teams that now they're not anymore in the same location. And especially with several different priorities that people can have at home, for example, family related. Mm-hmm. In this period is important to find a way to ensure alignments toward objective and to make sure that the cost of coordination is not increasing too much. Mm-hmm. You cannot think about any more investing heavily in coordination mechanism or control mechanism like budget and so on, because the reality is different. And investing in a purpose, self-driven organization would allow company to make sure that the purpose of every employee is as much as possible in sync with the one of the organization, is as much as possible in sync with the one of the team. Mm-hmm. And indeed, the alignment and objective, how we're going to go through this difficult phase, how we're going to achieve results, can happen a bit more easily. Okay. Just to give you uh, some more uh, tangible example of what do I mean or mm-hmm. how you can translate this concept of a self-driven uh, purpose organization is, first of all, we have to make sure that every single employee has a purpose. Mm-hmm meaning we have to invest in closing the gap between the purpose at company level and the purpose at individual level. Mm-hmm. Managers and individual, they should have the possibility and the opportunity of identifying their own purpose. Mm-hmm. After that, we have to make sure that the organizational structure, and on this I'm thinking about like the agile working principle, and maybe we can even further elaborate later on if you want, the organizational structure allows or enhances the usage of purpose in your daily activities. To give you an example, like the agile way of working is based quite often on squad and tribe. Mm-hmm. The squad is a group of seven individuals and the squad has a purpose. Mm-hmm. It means this, the individual can check in with a purpose that is a bit more granular because it's the team purpose versus yeah. the company purpose. Right. And the last one for me are more processes, especially the HR processes. I'm thinking about talent management. I'm thinking about performance management. They should allow the employees to reflect on how their purpose is playing into that equation. How do I leverage on my purpose to define my next step in career? How do I leverage on my purpose to set up my targets? So again, there are like three macro steps. And then I pose Tatiana before we can go in and further details, we can discuss for days. Yeah. 
you have to make sure that purpose can be defined by each of us. We have to equip people to have more lower check-in than the company purpose, intermediate level, at a squad, at a tribe, business line. And then you need a reinforcing mechanism right. through the properties. I have a purpose, but how do I bring that within my performance management, my mm. talent discussion and my career discussions? All of them together would make employees a bit more in line and in coordination. And indeed, we'd also simplify to go, I think, through these difficult times with high uncertainty and change of priorities. Mm. I think you're making a very valid point as to breaking purpose further down, closer to the person, to the individual desires, but also just more tangible. It's more accessible rather than sitting somewhere at a macro level, 20,000 yeah. feet up and everybody says, yeah, this is gigantic. I know what we are after as a whole, yeah. but what does it mean to me? Yeah. So as we speak about this and, and learn that self-driven um, aspects comes from the agile principles, of course, yeah. not every organization is agile set up or driven at this point and and some maybe haven't even started considering so what would be your guidance to maybe an HR organization what could be a good way to consider starting to adopt those principles like yeah. where would it make sense to start and make it more tangible and more accessible yeah it's a it's a very good question um, I think agile is the new buzzword mm -hmm. I think uh, um, even in my job title, I think I have strategy, I have analytics, I'm just missing innovation and agile, and I have all the key buzzwords <laughs> of this HR period. <laughs> so, but, you know, was would have been like too much of a long LinkedIn profile, so that would have never been acceptable. Mm -hmm. uh, no, one of the implications of being a buzzword is that um, I'm sure a lot of companies they're considering by, to go agile just for the sake of it. Everybody's moving agile, we cannot miss the train, so we have to do it. Mm. I believe that there is a value within Agile, but before starting, you really have to ask your, yourself, what do you want to achieve? Which is your burning platform? What do you want to solve? Mm -hmm. And based on that, indeed, which are the Agile principle, and I'm going to enter in a bit more detail, or how the Agile principle can help you into that direction. Mm -hmm. It's always important to start from the, the why, because if I'm thinking even in ING, we have part of the company that maybe they're not fully agile, because not by definition, you have to move agile. You move agile when agile is helping you right. to achieve better performances, becoming more effective, increase the, uh, the efficiency, uh, creation of new ideas, so the innovation part. Um, so every single company should start with like why they want to move agile and which are the benefits out of that. Mm -hmm. After that, they have to go through what I usually I define the pyramid of agile. You don't start focusing on your organization. There is a lot of anxiety in corporation. How does it work the organization of agile? Who is reporting to whom? Mm -hmm. Which is the role of an agile coach and so on? You have to start with the concept of mindset, behavior, Mm-hmm. Then you move to routines or ceremonies, organization and product. Right. Meaning based on what do you want to achieve, which is the element of the agile mindset, they make sense. Like 
trust, empowerment, delegation. And you have to understand how this mindset would fit your company culture and which is the potential gap. And how potentially you want to move the organization, especially the senior leaders, into the right mindset. Right. Translated to that, sorry, after that, you're going to translate your mindset into a set of agile behaviors that are focused and leveraging on your strength as a company. So actually how you can have a kind of synergies or synergic element between the agile principle or agile direction and your strength from a cultural and from a behavioral point of view as a company. Mm -hmm. Because if by chance I'm simplifying, the agile principle or behavior are completely at the opposite of your company culture, you can imagine how difficult could be an implementation of agile. And yeah. maybe you have to take a different approach and maybe you have to take about a step-by-step approach. Mm. After that, the reflection is which are the ceremonies or the agile routine that makes sense. So agile is built, you know, over scrum uh, um, and other practices. So what does it make sense for you? The stand-up, the QBR, OKR process, Obeyerum, you name it. There are like 93,000 of different versions. You have to reflect again based on what do you want to achieve, what makes sense. Mm -hmm. And after that, you can start working on the organization. Why? Because the agile organization is a kind of, I don't want to say a ghost organization, but quite often is an organization that is not translated into into your hierarchical and functional line. Because you put together like temporary squad or tribes, maybe with people coming from different domains so the organizational setup arrives just just later mm. and the last i say the product the product is interesting because you can be in an agile organization and having products that are not working for the agile organization and especially if i think for us as a chart professional a performance management process for an agile organization or non-agile could be different and maybe should be different mm-hmm. So at the end of your transformation, you also have to make sure that all your processes from the budget to the HR processes are structured in a way that can meet both the agile and non-agile part of the organization. Right. For that reason, there is a kind of sequence and some of the steps are happening together, like the routines and the organization. But the sequence is always you have to start from the mindset, the behaviors, the routines, the organization, and the products which is often, quite often a sequence but you can even work on several of them in parallel yeah but you did mention mindset i think interestingly a lot of times when you look at how companies organize themselves it's usually a blueprint organizational design to start with right yeah. of course we have your why and you know why we're doing things and what kind of products and what kind of customer experience we desire but then it's very much how do we make it happen So what's the target operating model? What's the value chain? What boxes do we need along the journey? And then we start filling it and that's our design. But we have not touched upon the ability or the competencies or the capacity of people to adapt to certain new routines, behaviors, let alone mindset. So it's a completely paradigm shifting type of approach. And to be honest, this has been also my way of thinking has been heavily influenced in the the way ING rolled out Agile across the organization. It's not been led by me, by another brilliant colleague. And uh, and actually, the way ING has been rolled out 
agile across the organization in different countries with different cultures, legislation and everything, mm -hmm. was a deep focus on mindset and behaviors. Mm -hmm. Why? Because then ceremonies and organization could be obviously within some macro pillars on boundaries, can be different country by country, can be different based on the size of the organization. Just to give you an example, in a small country where the HR function is quite small, maybe HR cannot move agile. If you have three, four FTEs, 10, you don't have critical mass to be agile. Mm -hmm. In a large organization where maybe HR has 50 FTEs, then the agile principle are fully applicable. Mm -hmm. So there is no one solution fitting all, but still you can ask yourself, even in an HR organization with six FTEs, how do I make sure that I try as much as possible to implement mindset element and behavioral element that would increase the collaboration and coordination of the HR function with the rest of the organization that is working at HR? Mm. Yeah, very valuable. I think very tangible, very practical. So people can take this away and really start experimenting. Yeah, I'm, I'm an engineer from background. So if I don't see something moving together, I'm wondering, hmm. <laughs> very good. Certainly something to learn. Now, your role also carries, especially the, the latest uh, kind of evolution of your role, HR strategy. Yeah. We spoke about it earlier. And it, it means a little bit of being in charge of long-term planning of where the people agenda should be heading in the long run. Now, yeah. obviously, that would imply that we can predict somewhat of the future and what we should be looking like and how we should be working. The current pandemic has taught us it's not very predictable where we are heading anyway. So how do you really then manage to give sort of guidance, direction, define even a strategy? Any yeah. early thoughts there? It, it, it's a good question. And uh, I think strategy is really is, is another buzzword for the reason in my job title and a big word for the reason is in my job title. No, kidding. Uh, when you discuss about strategy, quite often we think about these, you know, five years prediction of the future. My way of thinking about the strategy is we have to try as much as possible to take conscious decision to have HR narratives that are fitting together one with the other mm -hmm. and are fitting with the narrative of the business. And it's absolutely okay to have uncertainty. It's absolutely okay to know that some of the narratives, like which is going to be the new normal of working from home or working at the office, is something that is under development. Mm -hmm. But taking a conscious decision where we accept that this is a new priority, and indeed we have to critically review all the other HR decisions that we have taken in the last months, this is for me means taking a strategic view is always asking yourself how every single relevant decision you are taking or new element that is coming on the table of the chief HR officer can influence the other priorities, mm -hmm. can influence our narratives, can influence the definition of no regret moves. And this is especially relevant for the HR domain. Why? Because HR usually has a long I call time to market and time to value. Mm. Meaning whatever we design before goes into production takes months and before generates value, like a learning takes even more time. Mm. It means that we cannot change like the direction every three or four months. 
That's right. Because otherwise we're going to lose part of our investment. We're going to lose part of our long-term plan. You can think like a new leadership program, you design, you roll it out, you cannot stop and restart. Mm. You have to do some small modification. For that reason, you really have to be careful in terms of which are no regret moves that you're going to take. And also, even if you have new elements, what you can not stop and what maybe potentially you want to postpone when there is a bit more certainty. So for me, strategy is a continuous process of checking in. Are our HR narratives all in sync, the way we do performance management, with the way we do talent management and we communicate in terms of capabilities? Mm. Are we in sync with the business priorities? And is there any new investment that we have to start or stop? I love I think, narratives. Yeah, and, and I think the good thing about having someone that has no, let me say, vested interest in processes because I do not own, uh, let me say, performance management or so on. Mm-hmm. Let me say, I do not have my own agenda. Yeah. I'm simplifying. For me, it's not that per- leadership is more important than performance culture or the other way around. I try as much as possible to steer discussion and to drive discussion into what is creating the value. Mm. And sometimes we have to realize that some investments are, we cannot stop them. And maybe it's just better to finalize them, to go full in production. And then in the next MVP, we're going to have a revised version. Mm. I love when you talk about narratives, because usually, as you said, strategy is defined like this is the thing or this is the, the road we are taking. And then it's just, yeah, there will be micro steps and there will be milestones, but it's like the strategy is indisputable. Whereas what you are suggesting is there, you might have a North Star, but you have to continue evolving and questioning and doubting whether it needs modification along the way. I think that's very powerful. Especially because out of, if you consider like 100% the strategy, I think probably no more than 10, 15% is really breakthrough thinking in terms of how the future is going to look like in a different way. Mm-hmm. A lot of the strategy means the strategy to be consistent and coherent execution that is reflecting the changing reality, internal and external. Mm-hmm. Again, I think that if we make interviews to five chief HR officer mm-hmm. and we ask them the strategy high level, we're going to go back to the same strategy. Leadership, data, reduction of operational work, strategic HR business partner. Mm-hmm. Then you can have the talent, the performance, but roughly these are the direction. Mm-hmm. And all of them, they are wrong and all of, all of them, they are right. So yeah. it's correct that all the companies are focusing on that. I think the difference is in the way you focus on them yeah. and how you make sure that they are full in the same direction. And indeed, they can create value one on top of the other for our colleagues. Yeah. And consistent execution, I think that's a very valid point. It's not yes. just throwing programs at, at people and organizations, yeah. rather yeah. connecting to, to how it creates value and being able to follow through in a very Correct. consistent fashion. Correct. Mm-hmm. Now, you've also taken on just recently, we spoke about it briefly, the role of head of people analytics. Mm-hmm. So first of all, congratulations. But yes. then the question really is, what is your hope with this role? What are you focusing on first and why? I think now I'm in the role like for two or three months. So I think my hope is to see Christmas currently. That is <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. 
I think there is like a twofold. Um, mm -hmm. On one side, increasing progressively uh, our ability, I'm thinking about as an HR function, to take as much as possible data-driven decision. Mm. And not because we, as a chart professional, we are not able about, let me say, understanding data. This is not the case. But I think quite often HR historically has a less structure access to data mm -hmm. or restructuring data in a way we can uh, allow us an easier and quicker decision making. Mm. So the reflection is how do we have access to the data, how do we structure the data, and how do we use the data in our strategic discussion, in our strategic journey. And then on the other side, also try to further develop people analytic into what you can call advanced analytics. Mm -hmm. So how we can create value for the company out of better prediction of talent risk, better prediction of personal cost structure, better prediction of uh, um, KPIs through the organization and their quality. Mm -hmm. And also especially better listening to our employees through formal and informal mechanisms. Right. So, so the, the people on ethic is quite a, a good journey, I think. My first priority is currently um, really in trying to define the, the vision for the next two or three years. So mm. how success will look like. Mm. Please keep us posted on it because I think you made a very important distinction here. Predictive analytics, which is obviously based on historical data, extrapolating and then hoping to have some sort of a um, progression in this. But you mentioned listening and better listening. So I'm really curious how you're planning to go about this and uh, what you're, you're going to unfold with that. But that's really fascinating. So please keep us posted on it. Absolutely. Now, we also obviously had a preparatory conversation to, to share yeah. with everybody. And we spoke about the new language that can be deployed with all the learnings. And you did mention your background isn't classic HR, yeah. so to speak. Yeah. And you're combining a lot of wonderful fields of learning yep. and competence that that certainly adds value and color to how you see the world. So if we look at learnings and patterns emerging from combining data intelligently, which words do you see emerge? Which ones would you love to see HR use more or less in order to drive that new language and potentially that new narrative? Yep. Probably there are like three words that are coming to, um, to my mind, that is the, the value creation. Mm -hmm. The data. Mm -hmm. And the and the leadership. Uh, leadership is not a new word. So let me say from a new word, I would focus maybe potential on the risk side, the word risk. Okay. So value creation because I think a lot of HR professional, sorry, we as an HR professional, we always have to focus on asking ourselves how we support the business in the value creation for our customers. Mm -hmm. How everything that we do from a performance management discussion to a talent management discussion is creating value from a strategic point of view for our business and indeed for the final client. Mm -hmm. And the question on the value creation is something that I consider like 
foundational because it implies intellectual honesty on the fact that sometimes you do activities just for the sake of it. Mm -hmm. We do not understand how do they fit the value creation. And maybe potentially we can stop doing that activities in the long term. Mm -hmm. The second one is data because the data, ideally, we always should have a backup that is data driven and so on. But progressively, the more the data are going to be accessible also for HR environments, we have to ask ourselves, do we have anything, any data that is helping me to prove my assumption, to disprove my assumption, or to find out other root causes? Mm-hmm. And you can have these elements on you know, the promotions, you can have these elements on the evolution, of course, you can have these elements on several of the HR aspects. And the last one is the element of risk. Mm-hmm. Uh, why I like to use the word risk, apart from the fact that uh, historically I've done a lot of work for the risk domain, mm-hmm. uh, I think our people are considered like an asset, and this is absolutely correct. At the same time, we have risk about losing these assets. Mm-hmm. So start considering which is our talent risk, right. for example, so the risk that we don't have the talent in the right place. Mm-hmm. is a, a way to start understanding that unless we have the talent distributed in the right location with the right capabilities, the workforce planning, let me say, mm-hmm. or the value creation of the workforce planning, uh, we can run the risk of not delivering on our business promises. Mm-hmm. I think so far, uh, HR, sorry, the, the, the human side or the people capital is considered a risk in terms of I have someone that is quitting or I don't find resources in the market. Mm-hmm. In reality, there are several different risk angles that we can start taking into account. Right. And I think progressively, this is something that we can, uh, that we can start exploring. Mm, I love that. And then backed by data, you would be able to really support your assumptions. And I like what you say about proving or disproving, because I think sometimes yeah. a lot of times we look for justification, why a program is right or just, yeah. versus disproving that it actually is not delivering the value. And here yeah. are the points that support that. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Okay. And, yes. And uh, again, sometimes there is quite a lot of a discussion in terms of how much you have to go into the details in terms of proving through data the value. Yeah. Uh, when I'm speaking with colleagues uh, in ING or even outside, sometimes we say that we have always to prove with data every single value creation. While sometimes I believe there are some also some implicit value creation of initiative that you are doing, like you know, leadership training or coaching, and um, maybe always looking for an economic value creation would make us more focusing on building the case than delivering on the case. So I, I always say like we have to keep a bit of uh, granosalis, like the Latin they were saying, so with a bit of salt. Mm-hmm. So you have to keep. Uh, your mind sharp to make sure that what you are doing really is adding value and you're not just boiling number because then you need a number at the end. So. Yeah, yeah. No, very valid. All right. Well, I'd love, you know, if we had more time to go deeper, but unfortunately we are running out of time. We'll surely circle back on this and, and we're obviously looking forward to having you at the global conference and, and speak to many, many more of us. Um, one question that we do ask every guest on our show what are you most excited about, but also maybe most concerned about if we talk about the future or the future of work? 
What I'm most, most exciting currently is uh, really unfolding the, the analytics side, um, mm -hmm. to really try to, to understand how we can progressively create more value and progressively develop an analytic practice within human resources that is that makes sense and that can become a reference. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I'm, I'm worried, or let me say, I'm, I'm conscious on the fact that these are difficult times. Mm. Uh, now is, is October. Uh, unfortunately, relevant part of, of the world is in a second wave, at least I'm thinking about the Europe side. Mm. And it means that like my colleagues like me, also we have our mind and we're thinking also about other priorities. And this is absolutely rational. So I think I'm worried about the well-being of the people that are working with me, that mm -hmm. are working for me, of my colleagues, how we can go through this difficult time finding a balance between business and family priorities mm -hmm. and how we can go through these difficult times. Mm -hmm. um, I believe this is a broader moment of reflection of how we make sure that all together we go through this phase and all together we are, let me say, safe and sound I'm not saying that we don't get the COVID, but I say also from a well-being point of view, from a psychological point of view, yeah. because these are uh, exceptional times. They are, and I think they are demanding a lot of us, and ideally yeah. they are bringing out the best of us, so certainly it's a collective effort. Yeah. Thank you for this. It's been wonderful having you on the show. Again, we would love to talk so much more, and I think we only scratched the surface on some of the key topics, but let's make sure we bring you back to the audience. And you please keep inspiring us, especially with your journey as you define your analytics roadmap for the next years ahead. This will be fascinating to see and to listen. Thanks so much for being with us today, Luigi. Really appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Tatiana. It was, was my pleasure and uh, looking forward to the conference. Thank you. Thanks everyone for watching, for listening. We hope to see you back again at one of our next Hacking HR podcasts. Until then, as Luigi said, let's stay safe and sound. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you everybody for watching or listening to this podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please follow us on our social media and subscribe to our newsletter so that you can stay informed of all the things that we're putting together for you from the Hacking HR community. Thank you so much. Please continue to stay safe, stay well, stay strong, and we will see you soon.